guys. Welcome back to My Steps to Sobriety, my show on YouTube and as a podcast with me, your host, Stefan Neff. Today is a fantastic day, and I was looking forward to this interview for quite some time because I did my transformation into a intentionally living being in my 40s. And I often thought, man, wouldn't it be good if it's mandatory for every 16-year-old to go for a month into rehab? and just learn the same shit as I learned in my 40s. And, and I often say that. Now, there are actually people out there who are trying to do exactly that. Not necessarily four weeks rehab, but they're going out there and trying to bring the information to the younger people. The younger people who are full of testosterone and bulletproof and know every shit they, you know. Yeah, the problem is they don't listen to me. They don't listen to an old geezer uh, who is who is you know ra rabbiting on here on, on on a podcast. No, today therefore it's so interesting for me to to talk to Eric Dadario. Eric is a man who is helping other students and student athletes to actually get the best out of themselves, and therefore he is touching about all those many things that that can turn your life around in such a way that you're living far more intentionally that you're far more authentic in your own life and i want to know how he is getting the attention of a generation of young people whose attention span is measured in microseconds so eric i'm all excited here to have you on my show welcome to my show thank you stefan uh i really appreciate it <laughs> and i did my i did my best to pronounce it you like did you did ever so well. I did my best. I did my best. <laughs> Talked about it before. You take the S out. I tried my best. <laughs> Put the S back in. It doesn't matter. You're gorgeous. <laughs> Fantastic. And it is it is the respect that that you can uh you can show by uh naming other people. It's the, the tiny little bit that you are very good in and that I try to do. Uh so uh, so how do you give respect to a young person um who are already, I mean, you're talking to athletes, type A personalities. Yeah. These are not the easiest guys to talk to, isn't it? No, they're not. Well, you know, they're not. I was an athlete growing up, so I can almost put myself in their shoes when I talk with them. But it doesn't matter. I have found in my speaking, whether I'm talking to middle schoolers, high schoolers, college students, or whether they're college, high school, middle school athletes, the biggest thing I have found is, and I'm sure you know, when you are just vulnerable yourself, and when you just talk about the things that you've been through and you've went through and what you've, you've experienced, they just open up to you. So when they hear the things you've been through and you're just completely honest with them and you're not just up there just rattling off, spilling off stuff, when you just tell them the things you went through, that opens the door and they say, this guy's being vulnerable with me. I can be vulnerable with others. I can be vulnerable with him. And so that's, I think, the biggest thing right there is, is that to just be vulnerable, to show. It's funny. You started, as I was listening, you started the show talking about masculinity and, and all of this stuff with, with men. And, and that's a big thing I have found is the barriers break down when the barriers break down when you're honest, when you're truthful in what you're going through. And that's so true, isn't it? 
that is we everyone is putting up masks everyone is putting up yes um we are pretending and that is painful and and so it sucks the energy out of you to be always some person that you're maybe not or maybe only part of it or part of you uh is actually that person oh it's tricky uh i find that incredibly draining and incredibly exhausting and it's it's beautiful i mean you are you're doing an amazing job but how did you end up in that position as an athlete normally you don't just go out there and think hey i think i'm going to be vulnerable i speak to lots of people and talk about what really matters what led you to do the work that you're actually doing so i'll back up not too long ago five years ago and i'll never forget when i was in the hospital and the doctor came in and said to me and my family, as my younger brother, who would overdose, was just sitting in that bed in life support. And all of our hope was so high that stuff was going to happen. And he came in and said, look, there's nothing we can do. Like, you're going to have to say goodbye to your brother. You're going to have to say goodbye to your son. To my, He said that to my parents. They were sitting right next to me. And that crushed me. It really it, it crushed me. And I was depressed for a while after we had to bury my brother, but I slowly realized that kids need to hear the message of making good decisions, decisions like speaking up when they're struggling. And I realized though, it wasn't just about students, but also student athletes. Because again, I'll go back to what you said at the beginning, masculine, right? We're thinking we're tough, we're strong, especially male. Not to say females don't think like this, but males. The male athletes are like, I play a sport. I have to be tough. I have to be strong. So if I'm going through this, if I'm struggling with whatever it is I'm going through, I can't look quote unquote weak and ask for help and talk about what I'm going through. I have to, I can't be vulnerable because that's a weakness. That's not a strength. That's a weakness. And so I realized that Athletes need to hear this and students because both of them have that mindset. But I I think even more so athletes, right? Because athletes, they think to themselves, I played the sport and I can't let anybody know that maybe I'm struggling because there's this big persona. You know, you've ever watched TV shows or a movie of an athlete, a football player, a hockey player, and it's just they're, they're tough. They're strong. And there's this old verbiage of being tough, being strong, is just getting through what you're going through on your own. Mm. And so I just realized that that's something that these kids need to realize that that's not true. That just because you have this conversation of asking for help doesn't mean that you're not tough. I actually say when I talk to the kids, it's funny. I say it's actually the, the complete opposite. When you have this conversation, it's a true strength. It shows how truly strong you are. Yes, so right. Oh, so right, man. And that is that is something really, really hard um, for so many people. And I would say women just as much as men. Um, and it, it is trauma, unfortunately, does occur. And it occurs often quite early in our lives. 
And therefore, there is so many people I talk to on my show. There's virtually no one on my show. None of the people who have now got their shit together. When I ask them how their, their youth was, they tell me, no, I never felt that I fit in. I was always feeling uncomfortable in my skin. I had those traumas. I experienced those situations that I didn't know what to do with. So that is actually normal. It's virtually a given that everyone feels like that, yet we pretend, and I'm guilty as charged, I never admitted that anything was wrong with me on the inside. It was always this, on the outside, I'm tough, I'm, I'm yes. the man. Yeah. And well, you know, it's, it's, it's interesting you say that, because I just feel like everybody goes through these moments. All right, so here's my personal take on this, is that Everybody in life struggles. Everybody suffers. Everybody is faced with challenges, goes through adversity. And when we're going through those hard times, if we do make the choice like asking for help when we're struggling, not putting on that mask or that front like everything's all good when it's not, and we are able to start dealing and then healing from it, that makes us stronger. It makes us stronger in life, Absolutely. right? And because later in your life, you're going to probably go through more things. Not probably, you will. Because throughout life, you're going to go through struggles. And that's just a fact. No one can avoid it. You can't run from it. You can't hide from it. You're going to have to go through it. And so when you go through the struggle hmm. and you make those types of decisions and you get stronger and stronger, well, then you're able to face and go through the moments of tough times later in your life, right? But when you're going through these tough times, and you're faced with them. If you don't make those decisions, then you start to struggle more and more. I always like to say, when you're struggling, you've got weight. You've got pressure that you're walking around with. And every day, you don't do anything to deal with it. And I mean deal with it. Because if you're making decisions like my brother was to drink, to smoke, to use drugs, to deal with social anxiety or something you're struggling with, you're just every day packing on more weight and more weight and more weight. And it's just getting harder and harder and harder to live with and carry it around. And it's getting, as you use the word, exhausting to do. Hmm. So a lot of people look at these hard moments. Why me? Why am I going through this? This is so hard. <laughs> but it's we should be looking at it as this is going to help me grow. This is going to help make me stronger. Like this is what I need. To eventually become that person I want to become. <laughs> Embrace the suck, as yeah, many exactly. of the special forces say. <laughs> and it is it is an an attitude that is that was so foreign to me. I was full of anger. I was full of resentment. Look what they did to me. Ah, oh, now they did that. Therefore, I'm going to drink a whole bottle of whiskey and of vodka. And I showed them. <laughs> and it's that kind of thinking, that kind of pity party, that kind of um, focus on us as victims and maybe celebrating the victimhood. That is so bloody idiotic. But you don't see it when you're when you're in it. It is it is um, a defense mechanism of your body and of your of your soul to to blame others, to take responsibility, to take ownership of the situation or of the, your actions and reactions. That is a muscle that very few of us in our younger lives start to train. We don't even know that we've got that muscle, and 
you are actually pointing that out to people and that is a beautiful but can i come back to your brother mm -hmm. and you the the difference here was your brother struggling probably with the same sensations as you because were you happy in your skin were you content with your body with your appearance with your school marks with your how were you feeling in your body well it's funny you mentioned that this isn't something i really talk about when i talk with kids but growing up i went through probably two big big struggles and one of those struggles was i lost vision in my right eye so oh, wow. i was i was in i was in the woods with my friends we're just playing hanging out and a kid throws a stick at me and the stick sticks in my eye and I yank it out and blood's just pouring down my face, down my body. I pass out and wake up in an ambulance and you can't see it now because you could say, yes, I'm hiding it. I am. I'm hiding how my, my, my eye looks, but I have a glass eye. And if I was to take it out, my eye would droop. And I grew up through high school. I grew up and this happened in middle school, so middle school too. And I was so self-conscious about how I looked and what people would think about me and what they would say. The judgments <laughs> people had on me, it killed uh -huh. me, right? But then topple that with, I was in special education. So I have learning disabilities and I really struggled in school. So that was another thing too, is, is I got made fun of in school. And it's funny because my mother always says to, to us, if I was to pick one of you kids who I think would go down that road and would really suffer and would really struggle, it'd be me. Because I just went through so much in my life. But here's the thing. You may be asking, or people watching this or listening may be asking, well, then why didn't you? Huh. It was because of athletics. I took a hold. I was a very, I was very, very focused and determined in hockey. And so I took a hold of hockey and I ran with it. And I ran with it. And I wanted to do everything I could to play professionally because I just, that's what I wanted to do with my life. And so I would stay in, I would shoot thousands and thousands of pucks a day. I would skate as much as I could. I would work out. And I just had this goal, this vision. The intra here's the interesting thing though, is, is that I hung out with my brother. I hung out with him and all of his buddies. As a matter of fact, I brought him in to our friend group. And every single one of my friends that I grew up with, every single one of them, except maybe for one, but every, every other one is either dead like my brother, in jail, or recovering addict. So it's just interesting uh, to see that I hung out with those kids. Yeah. But I had a different vision. I had goals. I have dreams. <laughs> I had stuff that I was working towards. And a lot of people ask me that, well, why didn't you go down that road? And I believe that is a big thing right there is because of that. But then also too, I saw what these decisions were doing to my brother. I saw how they were affecting him, what was going on. And so I just said to myself, I don't want to live that life. I don't want that to be me. May I ask your parents, your grandparents, uh, does, uh, has there been a history of, of addiction, of alcoholism? Yes. yes. And it's funny because didn't really know that until this all came about and my mom opened. Well, actually, let me back up there because I guess you could say 
my mother on my mother's side, especially she's one of nine and in every single family, just about every single family out of those nine, there's one person who's either an addict or an alcoholic. So yes, there is, there is a, there's a past with it, but we didn't know about it. It didn't come about till around where my brother was struggling with his thing. So I don't know if my mom knew about it and she never talked about it or mm. it just was coming out when Brendan was struggling and she was kind of trying to say, look, I have sisters. You have cousins who are, go who are going, have gone through things. It's always hard when you have got a family where there's very clearly addiction in there, uh, but uh, it sort of skips a few few people here and there. Therefore, actually, your brother had the worst scenario. He had the genes of uh, addiction. That's pretty much a given with what you've told me there. Mm -hmm. But he didn't have a direct uh, view on someone who has been living that life. For me, I I was an alcoholic. I am an addict and alcoholic. Um, <laughs> that will not get a, go away. Whatever I do, the genes are there and my behavior is there. My traits are there. But at least my boys, who for sure have the same genes, they have seen me at my worst. And now they've seen me at my best. And so therefore, they have got a direct insight of how one can deal very dysfunctionally with with problems and maybe maybe different ways better ways how to deal with with other problems so he chose to go down that route you chose to go down the athletic route having said that may i be devil's advocate were you running away from your own life from your own problems by throwing yourself into your athletics was the athletics an escape yes boom i was gonna say that an escape i would be itching to get out of school looking mm -hmm. at the clock to get to to get picked up for practice mm -hmm. when i was out there it was like i was just free i was released from any maybe stress or pressure i was going through so you could almost say that that was my therapy for the day, for the hour when I was on the ice. I just felt happy. I enjoyed it. I loved it. And so athletics did so much for me and it helped me through what I was going through because it truly made me feel good about myself. You, As you heard, it talked about losing vision in my eye and yeah. I was made fun of and I was so concerned about judgments and I was made fun of and judged because I was in special ed. And that was a lot of negative pressure on me a lot of negativity but mm. when i was out there it was so positive and i was good at it and it just made me feel good about myself so it was a hundred percent not an escape in a bad way in a mm. numbing dulling way but an escape in the sense of it got my confidence up it made me feel beautiful. good that was my saving grace beautiful, beautiful. Uh, the the place where i could just feel confident and just enjoy myself see for me uh bit of a similar story there uh you were so conscious of your of your eye i was so conscious on my front teeth um because they had been knocked out in a gang assault so that my my first four teeth there they were for pretty much five years of my teenager years they were temporary um because my my jaw was still growing so they refused to put permanent implants in there mm. so 
Um, and with these temporary solutions, certainly in the 70s, 80s, they were not so great. So I remember kissing a girl and suddenly she had one of my teeth in her mouth. You can imagine that doesn't go down so well, does it? And you think, oh, for fuck's sake. And so I was not laughing. And fuck, I had PTSD, which was well disguised by then. Um, and so I lived a life without smile, without laughter, without anything. I was self-conscious as hell. Um, so I understand so much where you were coming from. But my PTSD and my, my the way my my core beliefs worked, I threw myself into work. And very similar to you and your athleticism, well, before that, I was about to say I went into work and became a workaholic as a, as a good thing. I'm a self-made man. I succeed. And I succeeded a hell of a lot. Cool. But at which price? Um, but then again, I actually have to go back because when I, after the assault, I started training martial arts. Guess what? I did the same thing. <laughs> Two, four hours a day training in addition to school, in addition to all the other things I was doing. So I escaped there. And maybe, maybe we show our own addictive, addictive nature there. Um, sometimes addictions can be very beneficial. Like in your case, you threw yourself into uh, athletics and, and went down actually quite a beautiful beautiful path having said that i still pose that you're an addict at heart were there things like doping um were there steroids going around uh, in the training were you guys so competitive that you wanted to have the extra edge no i won't lie thought about it talked about it with people but never did it again because i just i saw what happened to my brother Right. And so cool. I just put cool. drug and drug together. Nice. And even though, even though it might not be doing pills or smoking mm. like he was, I just put it's a drug. And cool. no way. No, nope, won't do it. But oh. I heard see people do it. Yeah, of course. Mm. And again, thought about it, but never did it because just said it's not worth what could happen. The risk. I always got to look at the risk. You, I guess, essentially listeners, listening, watching, looking at the risk versus reward. Is the reward mm. really worth the risk? Mm. Exactly. Right, of doing it. And a lot mm. of times we can make a case up here that yes, it is. But if we're really honest, we're really truthful with ourselves and we're really talking to ourselves in uh, a truthful way. Should I, should I be smoking that? Should I be taking that pill? No, you know you shouldn't. In mm. here, I always say to the kids, in here, you know what can happen. You know, but you just up here, give yourself excuses. And like a lot of addicts, just that one time. I'm just going to try it that one mm -hmm. time, right? That's all. That's all. But we all know what can happen with just that one time. Because that's how it starts for everybody, just that one time. You know, as you know, nobody takes that first pill, takes that first drink starts making those choices because they want it to happen to them. But that's how it starts. Hmm. We want to escape our reality. We want to escape the pain that we're feeling on the inside. I think that is the driving force for the vast majority of people out there who are using drugs or using alcohol or using certain behaviors that just gambling, sex, eating, to actually relieve the, release the tension, to actually 
have a relief of the pain. The reality is most of us have not learned other coping mechanisms. And some of us have got the genetic predisposition to get a really cool response to whatever poison we finally choose or mixture of poisons. Um, mm. When I had my, uh, when I've experienced my first dopamine rush um, through alcohol and companionship, friendship and everything fit together on that day, I was high like a kite. Um, of life, of beauty. I felt that. And I, I even now can remember the moment uh, when I first hit that high. And I think that's the problem. Some of us get such a beautiful dopamine high that we are searching for that, hunting for that forever. Oh, that's so beautiful. Where did you come from? Let's try again. Let's try again. And if you actually read or talk to, uh, read the books, the memoirs of addicts and read the, or talk to them, you will often find that the more dangerous something is, especially amongst the opiates, people who were who were experimenting a little bit with this and that, and then suddenly fentanyl came along. And they thought, oh, shit, yeah. Oh, ooh, ooh. what? It killed people? Cool, this must be such a high I want it. That is the, the perverse, the perverse strife for the dopamine that, that we that other people who never have been experiencing that will probably never understand. Well, it's it's funny because when you just said that, I was just reminiscing when I had talked to a group of people and somebody raised their hand. And when they asked this question, I knew that they've never experienced it. They never knew anybody experienced it. And they said, your brother just couldn't stop. Like he couldn't just stop. And I looked at him and I said, let me put it like this to you. I said, just picture the thing in your life that you just enjoy that gives you the most <laughs> fulfillment you've ever felt. What is that thing? I gave him a second to think and I said, times it by a billion. And you're going to tell me that you wouldn't do whatever you could to, to just have that 24-7 if you knew you could get it. And he kind of just looked at me and said, wow. Exactly. Damn. And I'm I'm like, yep, that's it. That's the feeling right there. I've never experienced the feeling, but my brother has explained it and talked to me about it so many times before he passed away. Just saying like, Eric, just said the exact same thing to me. Picture the thing in your life that you just love so much you can't get enough of. And mm. times it by a billion. I was like, wow. Mm. Wow. I don't get it. But I can see what you're saying, that that's just like so powerful. Mm. So th there's there's nothing in the world more powerful than that when you get hooked on it. I firmly believe that, too. That is this is probably when you get hooked on alcohol, drugs. It is the most powerful thing mm. in the world. Having said that, whilst this is very, very true, 100 percent true, um, it still that behavior of following your your urges there comes with a huge price. I mean, I was I was eaten up with shame and guilt and and I had anger and resentment. I because the trauma, I didn't deal with the trauma that was underlying or the trauma that was accumulating throughout my life. It just stacked on top of each other. And I had no no way of dealing with it. So it is I had to be really quite down and out. 
before I was finally ready to hear the message. How did you guys go about your brother's journey? Where was he exposed? I mean, did you did you guys have the money to actually put him into a rehab? Um, was he willing to engage in rehabs? Was what was your role prior to him taking that overdose? It's funny. It's a it was a roller coaster. So at the beginning, it got to the point to where I just said to him. I don't want nothing to do with you. And I'm sure this is probably the first time, you, and this isn't the first time you've heard this, but I just, I, like that kid in the crowd asking me that question at first, I didn't get this. And I'm just saying to myself, and I'm saying to him, look what you're doing to yourself. Like, you're going to kill yourself. Mm. Look what you're not only doing to yourself, but look what you're doing to this family. You're doing to our parents. If this is how you're going to act, I want nothing to do with you, man. Just like, don't talk mm. to me. So we didn't talk for the longest time. Shit. But now looking back, just seeing that, like that didn't help. Mm. That hurt. Because now he's got someone he loves his brother. And even though he's suffering, I'm outing him in my life saying, don't talk to me. I want nothing to do with you. And there were times where we were in the house by ourselves and we didn't say a word to each other. And I thought I was like helping him. Like, yeah, he'll get the message. Yeah, he'll get this. All right. Yeah. But I wasn't educated. And I didn't know that I was just hurting him because he down inside. He was definitely hurting more because now his older brother wanted nothing to do with him, mm. right? And it eventually got to the point to where I got a little educated. I got to know a little more. And I realized that I'm, I'm, hurt, I'm hurting him. I'm not helping him. And so we had a conversation. We talked. And it still wasn't easy because he continued to steal. He continued to lie. He continued to... You know, I mean, overdose a few times. It was scary, very scary. But I'll never forget he went to rehab and my parents were going with him. Not sorry, not with him. My parents were going to visit him. And they asked me if I wanted to come. And I was like, uh, and I said, you want something? I do. And I'm getting chills telling the story right now, but I'll never forget when we were waiting in the hallway, the waiting room, and he walked out and I said, this is the Brendan I know. He looks like himself. He's acting like himself. This is the Brendan I'm used to. I know. This is him. And then we went into a room. And there was a counselor there and just talking about everything. And it everything changed. My thoughts, my feelings, how I looked at this changed when he just started crying and just saying, I never wanted this to happen. I never wanted to live like this. I never wanted to go through this. And I'm so, so sorry. So sorry. And I thought to myself, he never wanted this. Taking this whole time, why can't you just stop? Why are you doing this to yourself? You know what you, but he, it just, it ha happened. That one night where he said, yeah, just one more time. Or just one of those. I'll just do one and that's it. And because of his genes, it happened to him. And so my whole outlook on it changed and from then on out i tried to call him as much as i could whenever my parents are out there i visited him i tried to be that support for him even if he was going through a hard time even if and this is so hard to do so hard but even if he was acting up even if he was getting high still being there for him being able to look past sift through on the outside of what's happening and really dive into the inside 
and be able to see that he doesn't want this. Mm. He doesn't want it, but it's happening. He didn't choose this. Mm. And so, yeah, I mean, my role was from get away from me. I don't want to talk to you. How can you do this? Talk to me when you get better to it isn't your fault. Mm. I understand that. And I'm here for you now with whatever you need, regardless of what you're going through. Beautiful. But, but that is the your growth journey. That is the, the journey of realization, what really is happening in an addict's life. Mm. Because again, there is so much bullshit out there, or so many beliefs, so many... I mean, it's not this long ago that we considered addiction not a disease, but actually a uh, a character failure, uh, a trait that needs to be stamped out, and law enforcement has to deal with that. Um, when in reality, it's a disease. And well, it's seen... funny because people still we talk about people who don't really know about it; they still think like that, right? So I think that's the big pushback right now nowadays mm. is that. There are people out there who still have that old additive, who still believe that this isn't a disease. Mm. You can just get through it. You need to stop doing it. And I think that's a large portion right there, a large part, having that old school mentality that we had years and years and years ago. That is what kind of right now is mm. hindering people. Because some of those people who have those thoughts are people's parents and so when they're struggling mm -hmm. it's just like exactly because i hear from kids like exactly. my dad just tells me to get through it my mom just says figure it out but it's not mm -hmm. that easy and they don't realize it because maybe no one in their life their family friends co-workers have gone through it so they don't really know and they just think get through it it's like something it's like a bad test grade you could say sure. in the sense of you got the bad test grade get over it move on do better at the next test, but it's sure. not that easy. Sure. It's not like that. And I think that reflects the the fact that so many parents they they are living in their own hell. They are living in their own their own problems. They had their own trauma that, of course, they hide from their children. So they they try to put, portray this picture perfect um, family, when in reality, deep down, they are broken and 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 hurting themselves and they often have their own escape mechanisms the the mom or dad who works far too hard and is barely home and makes it a choice so that she doesn't have to deal with uh, anything that that really gets gets close to her um the drinking the the, there are so many things that we see out there i mean chemical addiction uh, is about one in four one in three so it's actually huge out there. And if you just accept that already, then you can see, okay, maybe so many of the people. I mean, if you were to look in, if you give a speech and you look around the room and say, okay, every fourth of you uh, is likely to be an addict, has chemical addiction. Fuck, that's a huge number. And then you can say, okay, right, now look around. Every one in three of you will have depression. Not but now, but over your lifetime, you will have that. One in five right now have anxiety disorder. One in five, 20% of the, the young, young teenagers. These are the figures nowadays. One in three of you girls will uh, have already been raped or 
sexually abused or will uh, that will happen to you in due course so these are all the figures when we actually look at that virtually everyone in that auditorium will be affected by trauma mm -hmm. virtually everyone will have some aspect of that already have happening or have happened or it will come and therefore i i find it so beautiful that you're going out there and speaking about that raising the awareness going out there and actually holding the mirror in front of their face that their emotions their confusion is actually very normal and yeah. it is so normal for all of us to fall down the traps of having to or wanting to deal with negative emotions in a very efficient way let it be a syringe let it be a glass let it be i don't know whatever your poison is um, well it's it's the quick it's fixes. funny it's funny because it's it's pretty easy to you could say do i guess the only word i can think of is the wrong thing right it's easy to take that syringe and inject it's easy to drink it's easy to smoke but it's not easy to do the right thing. It's not easy to, <laughs> right? It's not easy to approach someone and let them know what you're going through. It's not easy to actually deal with it instead of pushing it to the side or numbing it and dulling it. Yeah. The right thing, the thing that's going to make you heal and deal with what you're going through isn't always the easy. It's actually the hard thing to do, mm. right? That's what I have found is it's just... It's 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 the hard thing to do, mm. to really deal with and to start healing from what you're going through. Mm. So let's. I would like to right now. Actually, I think it's a good time to kind of go over three things. I like to tell students, give the listeners, the viewers, snippets. Three things of when you're struggling, how you can ask for help. Right? Yeah. Like from and, and this applies to. If you've been raped, if you're struggling with depression, anxiety, substance misuse, whatever it is, this applies. Or just if you're stressed out with school, right? Anything in your life that you're struggling with, I believe these three things can help you to take that first step and relieve the pressure, the weight you've been carrying for so long. So number one, it's who. We start with who do you approach to have this conversation of asking for help? And it's a trusted adult, an adult you feel comfortable with having this conversation with. And that can be anybody in your life. It can be a teacher. It can be a counselor. It can be the janitor at the school. It can be your mother, your father. Oh. But not everybody in their life has the opportunity or has the, has the, uh, the privilege to have their parents in their life. Mm. So it can be the person that you live with, your, your, your guardian, your grandmother, your grandfather, your aunt's uncle. It could be a sport coach, but just the biggest thing is, is I want you to understand it's that it has to be an adult and an adult you trust to have the conversation with, because let's get serious. This conversation, it's not an easy one to have. As we talked about, this takes strength. Mm -hmm. And so on the side of approaching an adult, I feel as though it's very encouraging. It's helping. It makes the conversation a little easier when you have a friend with you by your side supporting you helping you when you start this conversation mm. because again it's not an easy conversation even when you have your friend by your side but it makes it a little bit easier to actually go about doing this so that's really who number two after we know a trusted adult 
Number two, how? How do we start the conversation? How do we approach them? And there's many ways that this can be done. You have their email, you can email them a start. If you don't feel comfortable going face-to-face -face. or if you feel comfortable approaching them face-to-face, -face, approach them face-to-face. -face. Mm -hmm. If you're friends with them on social media, you can DM them, you can text them through Facebook, Instagram. You have their phone number, you can call them, message them. But it just the biggest thing here is, is to approach them in one of these ways and not hold back anymore so that you can start this conversation of asking for help. And then lastly, number three, what? What are you supposed to say in that email when you approach them face-to-face -face in that DM? And there's two parts to this. The first part, it's just when you, if, if, if you're going to go about writing an email or DMing or texting them, it's just a sentence, simple sentence, just letting that person know, look, I'm struggling, I'm hurting, I need help. Can we talk? That's it. It's as simple as that. You don't have to unload everything in that email, DM, or text. Just letting them know you want to talk. And then the second part would be when you talk with them face-to-face -face, or when you decide to approach that person, you're going to approach face-to-face. -face. It's important you let the guard down. And I'm going to use that big buzzword, the word that a lot of people are afraid of, and that is and become vulnerable. And just talk about how you're feeling, what you're going through, the decisions you've made. And it's important to realize that you don't have to let everything out at once. You don't have to just let it all out on the table. You go at your own speed, as comfortable as you can feel having this conversation. And if you feel comfortable just talking about it all right away, then go ahead. But know that you don't have to. You go at your own speed. And so just, just realize that, yes, this may be very nerve-wracking, may be very concerning, frightening, but... I always like to say to athletes, to students, that there are just going to be some things in your life that are going to be nerve-wracking, are going to be frightening, are going to be very scary. But if you do them, they're going to help you grow. Mm. And this is one of those things when you are able to let the guard down, become vulnerable, and ask for help. So those are the three things right there that I feel are most important. Who? A trusted adult. How you can approach them in person email, DM, and what? Just letting them know what you're going through, how you're feeling, and that you want help. Those are kind of three action steps that if you're listening or watching, you can take now if you're struggling through something. And I know it's much easier said than done, but this is when you start dealing and healing with what you're going through. And you have broken it down to very simple steps. And exactly. each of these steps is pretty straightforward and guess what 80 percent of success in training in in a match in a competition 80 percent of success is just showing up when really you want to run a mile away from it but you just showing up suddenly you realize that all the 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 catastrophizing the oh my god if he will now look at me in a negative light or, oh my God, if she will uh, now, you know, you get these this weird thoughts, what could possibly happen? You will find the moment that you're actually making yourself vulnerable, the absolute opposite will occur. And people, you will not be diminished in their respect. On the contrary, people will say, wow, he or she really got their shit together by owning up. By, by opening up 
to to their own struggles. Now that takes balls, that takes ovaries, and it is a beautiful thing to do. And we see that. I mean, here in New Zealand, we are lucky because we have got we have got actually. No, we are not lucky. Okay, first of all, we have got the highest youth suicide rate in the OECD. Um, secondly, there is a lot of macho bullshit kind of behavior still going on, both in among Maori, um, sort of the, the indigenous uh, people here of this country, um, where there's still that that kind of gangs can become very much family, and and there's very much yeah a, a, a macho attitude there that is very hard to break um but everyone else here in new zealand sort of pakia other other people who have come into this country um there is still the same thing there is there are many many hurdles there that stop us doing the right thing and seeking help but virtually everyone i talk to if they actually open up and are vulnerable others around them don't look down on them they look up to them and say, "Wow, I wish I could do that." What strength it will take, it must take for him to say what he is saying, and that is, has been now uh, transferred into an advertising campaign. So, in a lot of sports, people are coming out about their own struggles here, and mm -hmm. the, the campaign is is called "It's Okay Not to Be Okay," and it's beautiful. Because people, all blacks, so rugby players who have struggled with depression, um, are outspoken about it, and it is it is becoming more normal to talk about that. Um, are you okay? Uh, that is not just sort of the, the usual. I'm fine. Uh, I'm fine is bullshit. No, when when it we realize that an honest talk can be such a beautiful thing. So there's the ownership on us to actually spend some time, get away from our handheld devices, go away from our own escapism and actually seek out those people and uh, those people who maybe are struggling and say, hey, man, shall we have a coffee? Um, you know, how is life going for you? And just you showing up for that, that is such a powerful thing. And you going to schools you eric um as in going to schools and and talking about it that can be the difference between life and death just you being there you saying hey guys it's okay to talk opening the door a little bit for them so that it's no longer as hard for them to open it further that is beautiful mm. and eric I, I thank you for for the work you're doing thank you for going out there for now making a difference making your own suffering mean something i mean this is this must be such a a grateful thing for you to do what do you get out of it when you go for a talk it's my therapy so now it's almost like it's replaced remember how i talked about hockey and that was my therapy and getting mm. through those struggles i went through well, now when I go out and I talk and I'm able to just talk about it, right? It's funny. I talk about talking about what you're going through, talking about being vulnerable. I get up there. I'm vulnerable. I talk about it. And so that is my therapy. That 45, 40 minutes, however long I'm up there, 
to an hour just is my therapy and helps me to just heal. Because look, I'll never get over what happened. I'm learning and I've learned to live with it, but it's, I still, I think about it all the time and it weighs heavy on me, right? It weighs heavy. This is a heavy topic that will, I'll never not think about in my life again. I'll be thinking about it and from the day I, till the day I die. So this is my therapy. I don't go see a therapist when I talk to kids and I have kids come up to me and say, damn, like I'm going through this or I'm going through that or can you help me with this? What do I do? That's the therapy right there. Mm. That's the biggest fulfillment I get out of this when I help and when I'm able to help kids and I'm able to see little Brendan's little, these kids come up to me and they say these things. It's like, wow, I see a little bit of my brother in you. I see a little bit of my brother in you. Right? <laughs> Excellent. Oh, beautiful. Eric D'Addario, um, a man who's going out there and making a difference uh, in people. Um, I think you're, you're instead of you being the, the ambulance at the bottom of the cliff, you're actually, you've started to build fences up on top of the cliff. Um, and that fences are inviting people to talk and to, to, to make a difference by taking action, by taking ownership. And that's beautiful. The more we can do that, the more we can uh, change the world. I strongly believe that. We have got the power to change the world by changing us, changing our attitudes, changing our willingness to engage with others. And you're, yeah. you're a role model there, man. Um, it was beautiful to, to have you on my show. Uh, you're an amazing man. Uh, it's just, I can't wait to see what else you're, new, uh, you're doing because your journey is ongoing. You will grow. You will do new projects. Can you give us a sneak preview? Are there things on the on your on the horizon that you are working on as far as your own personal growth is concerned? Well, I'm I've said it so many times, and I'm finally putting together an action plan for writing a book. Yes, the man. <laughs> yes, yes. In diving more deeper, the book will be into what we just, what I just, what you just heard and learned about those three things. Really diving deeper into the who, the how, mm. the what, and different scenarios. Yeah. So that's that's a big project of mine that I've been going back and forth with. I will, I won't write a book. I can, I can't write a book. How many pages? You know, just so I, I've I've definitely I, I've decided. I've decided to do that. And then I've also, I have partnered with a company. I've worked with actually for a while, but no, I was actually just on the phone with them yesterday. And we, they have these things. They're called, um, they're called Heron Clubs from the Heron Project. And what it is, is, is it's free. And for schools, they're able to get groups together after school and really go over different topics of you know healthy living cool um decision making yeah so those type of things and so because because i've been thinking to myself i go to schools and i speak and i make an impact but how do i make an impact after i leave right cool. exactly well, i just don't want to go in i've been going in i've been speaking making an impact but how do i get to the next level and how do i make an impact yeah. after i'm gone and Absolutely. so talking with the girl I did yesterday from the Heron Project, she's like, well, you can easily just use our Heron Clubs. 
um, box. They get a box and there's all these different steps they can take with the students to go through in this club. So I'm thinking that's perfect. So that's another thing that I'm adding to my services is, and it's free. It's awesome, right? So you can, after I go and I speak at your school, you can get this box delivered to the school and it has all these cool activities and things you can do to work on their pillars that they believe will help you live a much nice. healthy, better, holistic lifestyle. Nice, nice. Oh, good man. Eric, if, if people are gelling with you and they want to know more about you, where can they find you? So my website is thedecisionswemake.com. If you just go on, I'm on TikTok. I'm on all of it. TikTok, Instagram, Facebook, not as much on Twitter. I've kind of gone away from that a little. But again, TikTok, Instagram, Facebook, just type in Eric Daddario and I'll pop right up. Brilliant. And guys, look down there. Into and the LinkedIn, actually, too. Sorry, oh, LinkedIn, LinkedIn, there you go. Look down yes. there into the description of the YouTube uh, video and of the podcast. You will find his links all there. So no reason for you to not just go down there, click on it and uh, check him out. Uh, what have you got to lose? Maybe this might just be, just be the little action step you needed to get the, the ball rolling, to actually get you out there, start making decisions that might lead to maybe a different outcome compared with those decisions that you have taken this far. And whatever decision you have made, whatever life you've lived, whatever experience you've had, they were setting you up for this moment. This, the past does not equal the future. Right now, you've got a choice and you've already taken an action step because you've listened to that interview. You have actually trusted Eric and me with, with, your, with your time. And I hope we were able to, to show you that, hey, you know, we two got our shit together and it was a challenge, but hey, we are still working on it. And now we are just a little bit further down the path compared with you. But that does not mean to say that you can't you know, learn from, from our lessons and get out there and, and speed up. Um, you know, our path is meandering and we are still there with the machete hacking through the jungle. Um, well, you, you don't need to buy the machete. You can just take my path and or Eric's path and actually, you know, learn from people who have been there. So find your tribe, find your people that you can gel with and surround yourself with people who can help you, who are out there making a difference. And once you do that, your life will change. The only thing that changes in recovery is everything. And so come along for the ride. This is a fantastic ride. Eric is modeling it. Eric is going out there and having a ball of a time. Um, why, why not? Come on, come along, guys. Eric, it was an honor to talk to you. Thank you so much for coming on to my show. You too. Thank you. I appreciate you for taking the time and having me on your show today. Fantastic. And you guys out there, live with passion and look after yourself. Bye. Dream on. Dream on.